see all the religions teach us God is love, love is God, then why there's so much hatred, so much of animosity, there's so much of insecurities in the world? Why everybody is ready to be a cutthroat for, you know? And the second question is, as Lord Krishna said, yada yada dharma se bhavti bharata, he will come on earth when there's so much of, so how come he's not coming at the moment? <laughs> He will also come through you, through the door of yourself also. You must assist in bringing him forward also. He should not come independent of you. Why not he come through you? Um, and if he comes again, he won't necessarily come in the form that you expect to see. But to your first question, you say, if it is said that God is love and love is God, then how comes in our world, uh, that is not uh, so evident. Why is so much cruelty, so much unkindness, so much violence, and so on? You see? If we simply knew, just by the very fact that we are, you know, experience birth and come into uh, a life uh, of a body that is growing and a mind that is evolving and becoming more mature, and so on. And from the outset, it was just inbuilt to just spontaneously know that God is, and that God is love, and that love is God. It would take away from the game of existence. You have to discover that. We have to discover that. And um, uh, because uh, God is love, but that has to be an experience. And that love is God, that will have to come through experience, not only through belief. Whatever we believe, we must actually validate through experience. And we say that if God is love, um, why is there so much hatred and selfishness in the world, you see? Because in the play of existence, when consciousness in some way um, deemed it or, or chose to express, the human expression of consciousness is endowed with a certain sense of Mm, freedom of choice. It's not total freedom of choice, but there has to be a sense in which we uh, experience that we can make choices and we can choose uh, what we want to do and so on. In fact, it's not truly a choice because no one can choose or act contrary to the will of God. It must be within the permissive will. I don't think that you can do something and surprise God. Like God, go, oh my God, I didn't know that you were going to do that. So, our actions cannot act independently of the Supreme Consciousness. But within the play, uh, the, the, the beings have a sense uh, what is the choice. Uh, I found it fundamentally, it would be either to keep going with the invitations of the mind and habits to go out and to identify with phenomena, phenomenality, which is 
the perceiving of the, the play of names and forms and to desire them and to keep being pulled into, into some association with them, which leads us into a very personal mode. And we are weakest when we become personal. And, or to stay back as the observer. But that has to come, that someone has to point you to that, that that is a possibility. Because all beings are capable of observing, but few really exercise that power. We seem simply to just go on our reflex and upon habit, and simply we, we love what we love, we hate what we hate, and don't go deeper than that. Only as we begin to um, observe ourselves, or you're pulled into the, the journey of uh, awakening, or this love for God, or surrender, you begin to experience that statement which you started by saying, that God is love. Because you experience that love. You experience that, that, that wisdom. You experience that, that spaciousness, which is so, it's so compatible with your inmost nature and being, you see, it doesn't just someone give it to you like this. We come, to, we come into that, and it's part of the true um, maturing of a human being. That you come into that understanding, that uh, you discover love as your inmost uh, nature, and uh, with that understanding, you see when deeply assimilated into your being, so there is no separation between love and yourself. In fact, even of God and yourself, it feels like a, a unity, a union or something that happens. And with that deep merging of consciousness, it then somehow manifests in your life, without you even intending to do something. It is like it is your fragrance. We have a saying that you burp what you eat. So whatever you eat, when you burp, if you've been eating tomatoes, you won't burp, you know, mayonnaise. You see. So whatever you have taken in, that somehow that's the fragrance that will come from you. And I feel this is the way. Uh, while we have the sense of autonomy, then it is as though we are left to make our own minds up, but not totally. But we are tasting the fruits of our own projection, our own idea of what life is. We seem to have the, the ability to construct different concepts about what life should be, to try out our version, to see if it works, or to find that cosmic unfolding in which we are totally compatible with that unfolding, or to go our own way as impelled and compelled by our sort of like, um, you may say, social, religious conditioning and so on, will determine the way in which we experience life. It is a journey of maturing also. Mm. Those who have gone into the very heart of it, they emerge, you see, as the embodiment of that statement itself. And that's all it needs. We don't need more books, more studies. What you need is to meet someone who is the embodiment of that truth. Blessed is the one whose life is the evidence of truth. Or you may say that you must become the proof that God exists, not merely by what we say, but how we are. And it's not too much 
of a thing to say to a human being, considering that uh, we are all uh, made of God, if you can put it like that. Why should we not smell like God, look like God, taste like God? What has happened to create this sense of separation? It is to do with our, um, I would say, conditioning, the sense of the free will that uh, uh, compels us to act in our own self-interest, and uh, whereby we become more selfish. Because the more the consciousness identifies as a person, the person mode is a very limited and selfish mode of consciousness. It is one of the lowest expressions of consciousness, because as a person is inclined, it's based upon the belief I am the body, and the belief I am the body brings to consciousness the vulnerability of the body, because we know that the body has a birth date, a life date, and a death date. When consciousness identifies with the body, it's as though it comes into time, whereby its true nature is timelessness. And so it begins to experience fear that one day all this will end. And so much, so many things come out of that restlessness and anger and frustration at the conscious and subconscious level. You see? So it is a good thing that human beings evolve beyond the person into the state of presence, conscious presence, whereby these things that we are speaking about is easily understood and assimilated in the consciousness. So the consciousness is joy, in fact, in rediscovering, not creating, in fact, but recognizing, discovering, and being one with that which you discover. Next question we can have? Uh, okay. Uh, someone here. Wait a moment, please. Yes, okay. Yes, Swamiji, in spite yeah. of this uh, consequence, uh, consciousness, there is violence, anarchy. Uh, could, sorry, could you start from the beginning? I missed a few words there. Yeah, in spite of this consciousness growing in the world, there is violence in this world, anarchy, terrorism, jihadists, people are divided on issues of religion and everything. What is the fate of human race then? Someone once asked my master, when will mankind come out of turmoil? And he answered, when mankind becomes kind man. <laughs> what it mean by that is that somehow, we expect, oh, you know, why, why should it not be like this? We are, we are terrified by the negative um, expressions that come out of a disturbed mind. How can we fix this, you see? So, it's, we almost want someone else to fix it for you. But tremendous uh, change comes when uh, there's a saying, you know, you must become the change you wish to see in the world. It starts with each one, you know, uh, because uh, there's no peace that can happen and be sustained just externally or be written on paper as some kind of treaty. It's not enduring. It has to start from within. 
So each one, I mean, maybe these things are just really compelling, reminding us how important it is to start again afresh with yourself. You find peace. When you find peace, actually your peace will touch the world a lot more than any propaganda will do. Because uh, we have examples of human beings who attained that peace, who recognized and discovered that inherent peace, and because of that, so many millions and millions of people actually, lives were changed and, uh, and grew in consciousness. And if you look at someone, for instance, like a Buddha, 2,600 years or so, they drop their body, today there are still new Buddhists coming. Who are they? Who are they inspired by? The light, actually, outlived the length of the body and continued to inspire human beings all over the world. This is an amazing thing. You don't find anybody, you know, um, worshipping Napoleon Bonaparte or Genghis Khan or something, you see? Because the ones we mention are beings whose lives radiated that tremendous peace and harmony and all-encompassing, embracing uh, love that so much is the, the, the inner substance of the soul. And that's what we are searching for. We say, okay, enough violence. We know this now. We want to have some love, but it has to start with you. We learn from example. Set the example. Uh, I won't even say, you know, somehow you become an example for everyone. No, just find it because you trust that and you are searching for that peace. And it's amazing that one human being whose lives is there, whose life is the evidence of that, uh, of that, and shows that it really is possible. Because now, increasingly, maybe people don't believe it is possible. It is some kind of spiritual fantasy or something that a human being can be genuinely happy and free from the molestations of a psychological mind. And then I said, but uh, this is this is terrible that we don't feel it is possible. Uh, out of seven billion human beings alive on the planet now, we have to look back in history to find someone who is awake when we are all of the same. This is why I feel it is pressing, you see, because if truth, if God is infinite, God must be here now. If it takes another 100 years uh, to find Him, on the day that He is found, it will not be a day unlike today, this very moment. I would put it like this, that uh, if you speak about something, we speak about someone, if they are not here, we can talk about them. But if they are here, you must speak to them. Why we speak about God? Something in us always feels separate, you know, how we can get to Him, which is implying that there is always some distance. Why is God not here? If you really opened up your mind and heart to that possibility, you may or you will encounter Him. Why should we be so fickle or so afraid? If you met God, especially meet God inside your own self even, I wonder how the world would look to you during and after such an encounter.
How does God see the world? So let's not focus so much on external questions too much. What about internally? Internally you can discover something because you will most meet that truth, discover that truth internally you will do it. And today is as good as any other day. Why should God be infinite, omnipresent, apart from you? Babaji, if uh, I am not the body and if I am the consciousness and if that is the truth, then like you said, I must intuitively feel that, the way I would feel sickness. But why is it that I don't feel it and I find that the majority of humanity doesn't feel that actually, he or she is Actually, you are feeling it all the time, you are just not aware that you are feeling it. You are feeling it all the time. We are like fishes drowning, uh, of dying of thirst in the ocean, searching for water. It is as obvious and obviously missed like that. You see, if we are consciousness, how we don't feel it? But anything else you feel, you cannot feel without consciousness. It is because of consciousness that you can perceive them. It is, it is closer than intimacy. You see, if I give an example, that uh, I give an example like this, you have a knife, imagine a knife that is so sharp, it can cut so many things, but it cannot cut itself. Okay? Or a scale can weigh so many objects, but it cannot weigh itself. Why? Because it is one unit. And in order to perceive uh, or to cut something, must be cut something other than what it is. You see? Or your eyes can look on so many forms, but they cannot see themselves. You can try, you can do it. Because they are one. Similarly, you are one. You cannot see yourself. You can only see your projections of who you think you are. But your essential being, it is so one, you cannot see it. Whatever you see is only imaginary. You are looking from it, but you cannot look at it. If you could look at yourself, who would you be to look at? Are there two selves to look at? I am putting it to you, something that has been overlooked and can be rediscovered just like this, in fact. We imagine consciousness maybe has a certain feeling, but it is beyond the feeling, in fact. You may say the fragrance of that consciousness is peace, joy and love. You may say like that, but I wouldn't want to limit it even to that. Every experience, every point of recognition uh, can only take place because consciousness is prior to the things it perceives.
you are the perceiving consciousness. Yesterday, I was trying to guide someone and saying, look, just leave everything, all your notions for a moment. We can do it in a short space of time, we can do Leave all your notions about you know this and how the world should be and what's happening in the world. Leave, put just everything down just for a few minutes. We can spare that few minutes. And don't hold on to any, any memory or anything from past or any expectation or aspirations about future. Just we can do this. So that you simply empty your mind and consciousness from all this luggage. And even the idea you have of who you are, just let it be for a minute, let go of everything. So you are entirely empty. Be informationless. There is something you cannot take out. Whatever can be taken out, leave them aside for a moment. You will come to a point, there is nothing else you can take out. Tell me if you are not here. Everything you can take out, because you are there to perceive them. They are secondary to you. Hmm? Even knowledge is nothing without you. You are the knower of knowledge and of ignorance. So you need not combine yourself with any of these for one moment. Just to experience yourself neat without any association. Hmm? And be with this for a second. And don't be asking, okay, now what or what next? Don't go there. Simply rest as you are. Okay? If I say, but don't wait, already I caught you. You see? Something is like, okay. So now, what's the next thing? Watch that. Don't purchase that. Mind gets very agitated in these kind of states because it is used to, while you're having breakfast, he's asking, "What's for lunch?" And when you're eating lunch, uh, "What's for dinner tonight?" It's always on to the next. And like this, we perpetuate a state of restlessness that you need not get pulled into. So this is the invitation, simply to leave everything for a moment and to simply be sufficiently relaxed in this nowness. Hmm? And tell me, don't hold your breath also. You can relax. You're not suppressing the senses or controlling them. Let everything be naturally here. And experience what is here before you pick anything else up. That is the natural mind, natural state. But quickly something wants to assert, you know, but yes, but I can't live like this and you know I've got things to do and quickly we pick the noise up. And rarely in a life, maybe thirty, forty, fifty years, we have never allowed ourselves consciously to experience the stillness of being. It's like it has no value in our corporate life. Hmm? But cooperate with life. Be present for a moment. Life can spare you. Be with this. And somehow, mind is saying, but what is the value? 
We're not making money, we're not doing anything, it's a very passive state, we're wasting time and all of this stuff. You must discern the difference between yourself and your mind. Because the mind is not going to feel, the psychological mind is not going to feel compassion for you. It's not going to say, I've tortured you for forty years, you deserve a break, I'm going to go somewhere else. No, he does his job very well. You need not be a victim of that. Simply look and experience yourself before you go shopping for other sensations that just create a kind of psychic cholesterol or constipation or something inside your being and experience the natural silence of being. Then you may say, but I mean, but what if I have important things to do? Well, actually, when you are silent, you will see whether they are important or not. Because many things that the mind tells you is important, actually, is not important. You just never questioned it. In your stillness, in your silence, you will perceive much more clearly and honestly. And you will see, actually, that your life is unfolding with a certain grace and ease, that living by the, the projections of the psychological mind has not given you that peace. Sometimes we have the sense that if you are too peaceful, you won't get things done. And that is also a myth. It is not true. God is all peace, and yet He keeps this world going every part of it. If you could go to the start, digging a hole here and go to the centre of this planet, you may find some little creature moving about down there. He puts it there, feeds it and provides a way for it to enjoy its existence. You are not making life happen you must realize that you are life itself. And at the same time, that the unfolding play of life is perceived in and by yourself. There is a saying, I want to taste the honey, I don't want to be the honey. This says a lot about us. We are, seem to be addicted to experiencing. But here, in the discovery of the Self, it's a win-win. You are tasting the honey, and you are the honey also. A hand was there. Could you put over there for me? Mm. I want. I wanted to ask you the the last few weeks. Uh, I've been taking time, about half an hour every morning, um, just to watch. Yes. And and the instruction I was given was to watch the mind. Yes. And when I manage to do it, if if I'm not daydreaming or yes. or I get lost in the mind, yes. I find the experience I have is just I can only describe it as nothingness. Yes. When you when you put attention to the mind. It's just blank. There's, yeah. there's, there's no experience. I come out of it, and all I can sort of describe is there was nothing. Yeah. 
but I never sort of really get the sense of anything else when when the attention is there. I don't know if there's is there is that the process or yeah okay this um, two two points I'll make one and I think it's also relevant for many of you is that you say when I observe the mind for half an hour just observing mind in fact you don't have to observe mind for half an hour I'm going to show you something easier than that uh, observing mind is for a purpose there's a reason and a purpose for observing if we were just observing mind and observing or watching the mind, at some point you may get pulled in. You might get pulled into it, the stream of mind and start to think about something and so on. Because it takes a lot of energy to try and observe your mind. You see? So the purpose of observing is to come to the conclusion that what you are seeing, all of it is momentary. All of it is either random, something comes randomly and you're noticing this, but you don't form any relationship with what you are observing. You stay as the detached observer of all these things. That's what happened. So you're watching without involvement. Yeah? After a while it becomes clear, like everything you're seeing is uh, impermanent and insubstantial, in fact. If you don't identify with it, it's just like a cloud passing. It goes by itself. You don't have to push it, not pull it. It goes by itself. As soon as that is clear, that such is the nature of the mind, of coming and going like this, you can ask, what is observing the mind? What is observing the mind? Because the fact is, it is being observed. By what is it being observed? Can that be observed? And that's already very powerful. So one of two things is going to happen. You're going to stop or you are going to stay with it and observe something. You are going to either run away because it's so powerful or you're going to be so pulled into the profundity of that recognition. You see? Now, I was very happy, you said. Actually, after observing for half an hour, my mind actually uh, there was just nothing it was not nothing okay or you say it was a blank or a void okay what weakness is even void also because even void is also observed hmm? and that also will go suppose the void is what is seen and void is there and you can't avoid the void. Okay? It's just void. Okay? So you're in a state of this. So there's no thoughts actually coming. There's nothing going on. There's perhaps not even any joy or sorrow or nothing. There's just a blank, you know? Still, don't make any premature conclusions about that state. Simply be aware of it. Stay in it. Because at some point it, it will change it will change and that will also be observed and you will know that what observe it is not trapped in the bubble of anything you can see and that in seeing is the most powerful thing because it means then from there when you re-enter the field of diverse functioning it will always have this most stable understanding underneath it 
and you will not again suffer from any depression or anxiety or nothing because you see all of them are as momentary sensations appearing and disappearing in consciousness you have found a full stop but it is it is greater than a full stop because it wasn't a start to start with but something stopped you have come to the very source this is what what happened is that you experience a state of emptiness and the mind still comes and says eh. you found nothing you see you go, oh no am i supposed to experience this maybe i made a wrong turn somewhere you see and then this is like what happened but you are not to form any conclusion just keep observing just the observing is still the light of observing is still on so even a blank don't say oh i've just come to a blank don't make any assessment blank is also a phenomenon being perceived it is not conclusion you see once you see this you will not feel that you are trapped in the bubble of this nothingness because this emptiness at first the mind is trying to capture it to say look ah nothingness nothing has a very strong connotation for us nobody wants to be nothing everybody wants to be the best something but no one wants to be nothing because nothing has such a negative connotation is it some people and if somebody insult you hey you are nothing <laughs> only a sage if you say you are nothing is oh thank you very much <laughs> but the regular person is not going to accept nothing as any positive thing so at first mine was there yeah not nothing so don't fall for that you have not you're not here to to count or to compare just be just here just observe that too will also pass you see because the self is not a phenomenon that you can perceive it is the perceiving itself in fact it is perceiving the perceiving itself but this flower nobody can find so you're right there you know you're right there but don't make any conclusion or the mind will go okay so don't repeat that again you've been there done that you know you don't want to go back to that state you see don't touch that don't be affected by that and you will convert that actually it will get converted into the most beautiful thing you sir okay okay you and then the next one after come no 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 as you like them actually my question is connected to gentleman's question yes see when we talk about watching the mind okay and the flow of thoughts it's a conscious effort okay now the moment you say it's a conscious effort the mind you know the play of mind begins so for example when i'm doing the exercise of watching the mind i'm not very sure whether it is the mind which is posing as the observer and watching you know whatever the flow of thoughts that's happening yes or it is actually you know the ultimate observer so the real question about you know whether, whether the observer is observed or not i'm not very sure whether it is the mind posing as the observer yeah don't uh, make conclusions too quickly you've started like that no don't give me the microphone please you've started like that to look and you say okay i mean uh, my question is connected because uh, if i start to you know i mean to to say to follow this pointing to ob- to begin to observe the mind that's already is effort you see Yes, some effort is beginning with in fact when you first started to identify with your body it was tremendous effort for you as a child to do it 
When you were a baby and you, you did not have the use of this body properly, it was a new machine and you were trying to touch something and you, you, you did not feel, I am the body at all. When you got used to driving the machine you started, and you were told enough you are the body, then you accepted this body and after you never doubted it. Also the name you did not readily accept, you got adjusted to it. We got adjusted to many things and we grew and accepted many things out of repet repetition. And this is why all the Gitas, the great scriptures, they have a tendency to be repetitive, to kind of bring you back through this lullaby into awakening, because we got a lullaby into sleep actually, by many things that we believed made you asleep to the Self. This is why the nature of many Gitas seems repetitive, to keep on just hammering, 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 to go back into the consciousness. So in the beginning some effort will be required, but very quickly it will be transformed into a very natural state for you. You see? Now, you say the second point was that, how do I know that my observing of the mind, you know, is not just the mind observing the mind? But if it is the mind observing the mind, what knows that? Then a deeper observing must be there to say, perhaps it is the mind as observing the mind. But then somebody may say, but you know, maybe it is the, the mind observing the mind, observing the mind, observing the mind, in endless succession of observing, like putting two mirrors in front of each other and you're going, I said, that's typical of the mind to speak like that. <laughs> However many times, ad infinitum, it is still perceived by one central seeing. You will actually not have to think that, you will come naturally to see and confirm that it is so actually. You see? But in the beginning, we find that we, the mind is very quick to make assessment and judgments. You see? It's a bad tendency we have. I remember one time also, uh, as I'm talking, one friend came also uh, to India. First time. And after three hours of looking around, he felt that he knew everything about India. <laughs> so I got it right. It's like this the Indians on this. They said it's such a bad tendency of mind, and people feel that they know this. And so don't make any conclusion. In fact, as long as you can stay in a state of neutrality and simply observe, so that your observing become increasingly silent, and then you keep the power rather than hemorrhaging power through this chatter and uh, all this kind of uh, weak, weak functioning. So something just gets contained in a beautiful concentration of power and in that the juice of God, I say, this fruit that awakens in you is the fruit that keep getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. But it never gets oversweet. Can you imagine? Every day the fruit you're eating it tastes even sweeter, but it never gets oversweet. This is the fruit of your own being. Bum,
Yeah.